evil he is. And he looks at the man of God, the prophet of God, and says, you're the problem. Elijah said, no, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. And we're about to demonstrate this to everyone. Ahab was evil and he hated Elijah, but he needed it to rain because the nation was in famine. So Elijah began to talk and Ahab did exactly what he asked him to do. Elijah said, here's what I want you to do. We're going to go to this mountain, this Mount Carmel, and I want you to bring two groups of people. The first group of people are your prophets. The 450 prophets of Baal. The worship of Baal is a demonic religious system. And these prophets would be the ones who would usher the nation into this religious uh, system and this religious worship of Baal. Bring your 450 prophets and then gather the nation around. We're going to have a contest. Everyone likes contests. (laughs) At the end of this contest, God will make it rain. So he does that. Now this is interesting before we even get into this passage to understand that Elijah was now standing in the middle of a mess. You see, if Elijah was wrong and this thing didn't work out, Elijah was going to die. I don't think that was a mystery to anyone. There's a point in this story where Elijah the prophet is standing pretty much by himself with the nation of Israel behind him and the 450 prophets of Baal in front of him along with a king that wanted him dead. But he didn't create this situation. You've got to get a hold of this. We're going to watch this this prophet walk through a very difficult situation in a way that brings tremendous redemption. But it wasn't a situation that he created, and at no time does he say, God, why am I here? Instead, he says, God, how can you receive honor and glory? This event was not his fault but it did not change the fact that he needed to deal with what was happening. So as we get into this, we ask this question. How do you make the most of your mess? How do you redeem your mess? Number one, you have this on your outline. Number one, allow the mess to provoke a decision. Allow the mess to provoke a decision. That word provoke is a strong word. I I mentioned in the first service, I tried to get away from that word or a word like it all week, and I just couldn't settle anywhere else. (laughs) It's kind of an ugly word when you think about it. Provoke. Make it happen. Look at verse number 21 of our passage. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. So here's what's happening. He gets the people together. He tells them about this contest. But he asks them this question. Why is it that you, as the children of Israel, as the nation of God, as those who claim to be followers of God, are allowing this evil king and his evil wife and these evil prophets to draw you away? If God's God, then follow him. But if not, run away from him. How do you redeem the mess in your life? He finds himself in a mess, and the first thing he does is allow that mess to provoke a decision for God. Now, a decision for God can be with him or against him, but all people need to be pushed into the position where they have to make that decision. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's creating a situation where people will have to see the prophets of Baal in contrast with Almighty God and then decide who they're going to follow. And your life and your mess should provoke a decision. I'll tell you this as we back out. 
Because that's good preaching, what I just said there. Amen. (laughs) And it's fun to talk about what other people should do. But you know who first needed to make a decision for God? It wasn't the nation of Israel. The first person that was provoked into making a decision for God in this story is the prophet. Is Elijah. Elijah told Ahab, there's not going to be rain. It's going to be terrible. When God tells me to come back, I'll come back. And then he went and hid. Go to verse number 1 of chapter 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. God said to, to, to Elijah, Hey, I've got a job for you to do, and it's going to be messy, and you might lose your life, and you're going to have to trust me, but I want you to go. Look at verse number two. And Elijah, what's the next word? Went. There's a lot that happens between verse number one and verse number two. Can you imagine the feeling in the stomach of this prophet when God said, hey, uh, this, this guy who wants to kill you, and, and in fact, he's told others if they see you that they need to kill you. He hates you. I want you to go have a conversation with him. <laughs> this is a bad situation. This is a mess you're about to get into, but that's exactly what I want you to do. As this mess was unfolding, as this trial was coming together, Elijah the prophet had to decide that he was either for God or he was against Him. He was with God or he was on his own. He was going to trust God or he wasn't. And I'll tell you this this morning, and maybe nothing else will happen in your mess. Maybe in the trial that you find yourself in today, nothing good will come other than this, that you make a decision that you will indeed trust God. If that's all that happens, then you have redeemed a bad situation. There is nothing like a difficult situation, a broken or hurting relationship, financial pressure, a life that's not turning out the way that you thought it would turn out, other issues that create this mess around you. There's nothing like the trials of life to put you in a position where you need to decide or redecide that you are going to follow God. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. It's a great verse. It says, Thou, speaking of God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in me. In the middle of your mess, you can have peace if you'll put your mind on God, if you'll trust God and allow Him to do the work that He desires to do. God told Elijah what to do, and Elijah went by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, a wonderful verse in the Bible says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. You might like that verse or hate that verse. I don't always like it. Because I want to please God without the need for faith. If you're not in a mess or facing a mess, if you're not in a trial or facing a trial, if you're not in a place of uncertainty, then you don't need faith. So what Hebrews 11 and verse 6 is telling us is that the only way to please God is to be in a mess and trust Him anyway. Are you walking in faith? Are you living in faith? Are you trusting God by faith? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. You're familiar with this verse. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing how? By the word of God. Elijah was not 
conjuring up something that he thought was really neat and trusting God to take care of him. Elijah had received the word of God in verse number one and was responding to that word, taking the first step and then the next step in faith and allowing God to do what God wanted to do. The faith life is not a life where we close our eyes and jump off and hope that God will catch us. That's foolishness, of course. The faith life is saying, God said, here it is, I'm going to trust him because he's God. And if all you do in your mess, if the only resolution you make is the resolution to trust God by faith, then your mess has not been wasted. How do you redeem a mess? You allow that mess to provoke a decision, but not only in your life, in the lives of others. In the lives of others. Your life should draw such a contrast between God and not God, <laughs> that people look at you and say, I don't know what they have, but I want it. That's really what Elijah was saying here. He had already made a decision to follow God, and you need to make that decision first. But then beyond that decision, he went to the children of God, the nation of Israel, and he said, hey, this situation that's about to unfold, this mess that we're walking into, is one that should provoke you to also follow God Look at verse 26. I'd love to read all these verses. Leading up to this, the 450 prophets of Baal, they assemble. This thing is getting ready to unfold. It's getting ready to start. And they took the bullock which was given them, verse 26. This is the prophets of Baal. The nation of Israel is watching this, this happen. And they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. If you want to take a, a fascinating journey in your own mind, <laughs> this verse presents an opportunity to do that. These guys were asking for fire to be sent from heaven by Baal. And they were pretty sincere in that request. What caused them to be so sincere? They apparently believed they had the ability to do this. Will Baal hear us? But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. Verse 27. This, this verse is crazy. Verse 27. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. Now, <laughs> like for me just to get the courage to go through this whole event, that's probably more than I could handle, Right? This guy has just looked in the face of a king that wants to kill him and said, hey, God's going to demonstrate he's God and that you're not. Here's what I want you to do, king. I want you to get your prophets up on the hill. I'm going to show you how fraudulent they are. And then I want you to get the nation around us to watch. And we're going to have a, a contest, and you're not going to come out on the winning side of this contest. He's already had this conversation. Now he's got 450 demonic prophets of Baal who we'll see are cutting themselves to get the attention of Baal. These people aren't right. They've got problems. The nation of Israel behind him, they haven't decided if they're going to follow God or not. He's standing there by himself, and he mocks. He says, hey guys, maybe Baal can't hear you talk louder. Maybe he's gone on a journey. You know he's very busy. It's not easy being Baal. He's on a long journey. Maybe you need to get his attention. 
Jump up on the altar, cut yourself. Maybe he'll see what you're doing. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom and he's really busy. I added that part. It's not really in the verse. I added it. But he starts mocking them. Now ask the question, why would he do that? Where does that kind of confidence come from in the middle of a mess? It comes from knowing that you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. It comes from having made a decision to follow God above all else. And that's what then leads you into a place where you can provoke others to do the same. He wasn't asking the people to do something he wasn't willing to do. He was saying, hey, I've decided for God, and I'm confident God will do what God said he'll do, and you need to follow too. I wonder if perhaps the reason people in your life do not make a decision for Christ is because your life does not draw enough contrast between what they have and what they need. How do you redeem a difficult situation? How do you redeem a mess? Well, first of all, by allowing that mess to provoke a decision in your own heart and in the lives of others. Number two, this is great. I don't know if anyone else is enjoying this, but I enjoyed it last service. (laughs) I'm enjoying it right now. (laughs) This is great. You know why this is great? This is a tangent. I can't get fired, so we can take a couple extra minutes. (laughs) You know why this is great? Because sometimes we believe things are true, and they may even be true. But when we come to a passage like this, the truth is so clearly illustrated for us. pastor says this all the time, and I've used this, this statement many, many, many times since I first heard him say it. When we come to the Bible, we're not searching for the truth, we're searching in the truth. It is truth. It's on us to understand what it says as the Holy Spirit works to us, uh, works in us, and we have a passage like this, and it makes it so clear. These people were in a mess, and we're in a mess. We can relate to them. <laughs> so, what did they do? Well, we see that first of all, they were forced into a decision, but second, they were reminded of who they actually were. In the middle of a mess, you need to remember who you are. That's number two. Look at verse 30. These these prophets, they've done everything they could possibly do. They've gotten no answer. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near to me. This is Elijah saying, all right, we're done playing. Come near to me. God's going to do something now, and I want you guys to pay attention. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And this is not in the message. That verse right there, verse number 30, could be an entire message by itself. What was the first thing he did? He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Maybe there are some altars in your life that need to be repaired. Verse number 31, and Elijah took 12 stones. Is that number important to anyone? Every word of the Bible is there for a reason, and certainly this was no mistake, and it's recorded for us exactly like this, so we understand what's happening. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. 
You know that in the middle of a mess, it is entirely possible to become so overwhelmed with what's happening around you, so beaten down by the battle that you find yourself in, that you really lose yourself in the process. Maybe you're going through something right now, and if someone were to corner you and say, who are you? Meaning, what do you dream about? What do you think about? Where is your hope found? What what do you uh, anticipate will happen in your life? If someone said, who are you? The answer that you would give honestly would be, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know who I am anymore. I used to dream. I used to hope. I used to believe. But it's all gone. You forget who you are. Elijah looked at the nation of Israel and he said, look, the first thing you need to do is make a decision for God. But after that, you need to remember whose you are. You don't uh, belong to this king that hates God. You don't belong to these false prophets of Baal. You don't belong to a world system. You belong to Almighty God. And God has a plan for your life. And God wants to do something great in your life. Don't forget. He took the 12 stones, and just seeing those 12 stones laid out, they would have remembered, we are the 12 nations of Israel called out and set apart by God. He he then built the altar with those 12 stones and placed that bull on top of it, and he named it after the Lord, and he said, this is who you belong to. This is what you're about. Don't forget. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus is speaking. He says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The thief, we could say that's Satan or that's Satan's minions or that's the world system that, are, that, that is those things that work against the plan of God for our lives. The thief has a purpose to steal To steal your hope, to steal your joy, to steal your dreams, to steal your purpose, to steal your direction. The thief wants to steal who you are, to kill the world that you've built around you, to kill that family, to kill those relationships, to kill those things you've invested so much into, and to destroy. That's what the thief wants to do. But for those who name the name of Christ, the Bible tells us that he came to give us life, but not just life more abundant life. Are you living in that abundant life? There is victory to be found in Christ. Colossians chapter, or uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Don't forget who you are. Don't let your circumstances or your situation define you or put his label on you. You are not a series of events. You are not a tragic past. You are not someone who has hurt you. You are, if you're in Christ, a child of Almighty God. And there's great hope to be found there. And yet we forget. What do you do in the midst of a mess? How do you redeem the mess that you find yourself in? Well, first of all, make a decision for God and point others to him as well. The second thing you need to do is be reminded of whose you are. But then the third thing, and this is so important, how do you redeem a mess? Well, in the middle of your mess, you need to glorify God. As I worked through this passage and laid out this very simple outline, I, I, I didn't like that glorify God was number three. Because in my mind, everything should start with glorify God and work back from there. 
What I understand, though, and as we have it laid out for us in this passage, is that glorifying God can't happen until you first understand that you are in Christ, that He is your God. And that doesn't happen until you have first been provoked into a decision. Elijah took the nation of Israel through this process of making a decision for God, of understanding that they belong to Him, and then stepping back and helping them to understand that even in the worst mess, they can glorify Him. What mess are you in? I don't know. Why are you in the mess that you're in? Here's the best counsel I can give when asked that question. Why are you in the mess that you're in? I have no idea. Maybe we could spend some time talking and deconstruct and find some areas we could have done better. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. Why are you in the mess that you're in? I have no idea. How do you redeem the mess that you're in? You need to live a life that in the middle of the mess will glorify God. Look, if you would, to verse number 36. We'll go to verse number 32. It's just all too good. He built the altar, verse 32, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Now this guy's crazy, Elijah. He's nuts. <laughs> he told the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, build an altar, put a bull on top of that, ask your God to rain down fire. If he does, then he's doing a pretty good job. He builds his altar out of 12 stones to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He names it after the Lord, and then he has them build a trench around it, going the extra mile. We'll continue reading. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. This is important. Maybe you know this story. Maybe this is not unfamiliar to you. Uh, if it's not unfamiliar, then get it again. If it's unfamiliar, let me tell you what's happening. They're in a country that's been in drought for three years. It was so bad that the king and his right-hand man were traveling around the countryside looking for water. They're in a bad, bad place. There's not a lot of water around. Elijah knows that God's going to do something, but here's what Elijah also understands. That when God's reputation is on the line, he does not do small miracles. You know why often in the middle of your mess, God doesn't do the miracles that he can do? Because you won't get out of the way. Elijah was working pretty hard to get out of the way. He said, we're going to build an altar, and we're going to put that bowl on top of the altar, and then we're going to put a trench around it, and after that, we're going to dump water on top of it. Now, Elijah either was not very smart, or he trusted God. If you're trying to start a fire, the last thing you want to do is dump water on top of the wood. But that's what he did. He didn't want there to be any mistake. He didn't want anyone to be able to say, well, that was a, uh, an ember that flew on there and caught that thing on fire. Or it was the sun, it's really hot. Or it was something else. He wanted it to be very clear that only God could do what was about to happen. But that wasn't enough. After they did that once, he said, let's do it again. And then, let's do it again. And he drenched that altar. He drenched that sacrifice. And then he began to pray. Verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, 
and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Elijah knew what was going to happen. Elijah had received the prophecy. Elijah wasn't praying for his benefit. He was praying for the benefit of those who were listening, the nation of Israel. He wanted it to be absolutely clear that it was God who would receive the glory. Colossians 3 and verse 17 says, And whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. When we seek to honor God with whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can expect God to do the things that only God can do. How do you redeem your mess? You redeem your mess by glorifying God. Every trial is an opportunity to show God Every difficulty is an opportunity to show God. Every opportunity that we have in the midst of the trial is another opportunity to worship God, to glorify God. Look as we continue to read. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water that was in the trench. When God's reputation is, in the line, is on the line, He does no small miracles. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. I wonder if sometimes, instead of glorifying God, to glorify means to lift up as preeminent on top of everything. I wonder if instead of glorifying God, we glorify our situation. We glorify our mess. We lift that up as preeminent. That's the biggest thing going on in our lives. We glorify the people who have hurt us or are hurting us. We lift those things up to such a place that God has no place. We take our mess and we glorify it and we push God aside and God is waiting for us to get out of the way to lift Him up so that He can do what only He can do. How do you redeem your mess? By glorifying God. You are never more like Christ than when you are participating in the work of redemption. Even in your mess, as you participate in the work of redemption, you are an echo, a shadow of the work that Christ has done in your own life. How do I know this? Because that's the story of the Bible. It's all about redemption. In the beginning of the Bible, we're told that God created man without error, perfect. Man sinned against God, rebelling at His Word. Broken. The life that God had created was now valueless. It was worthless. And man was in bondage to sin. And yet we could come to chapter 3 of Genesis right in the beginning and understand that God said, in the midst of this mess, I will be glorified and I will redeem. We walk through the Old Testament and we see laws that point to the coming redemption. We see sacrifices that point to the coming Redeemer. We come to the beginning of the New Testament. We learn of Jesus. Jesus who is God. Jesus who left heaven and He came to earth and He walked and lived a perfect sinless life to die on the cross in our place. For what purpose? The purpose of redemption. To take that which was worthless, our lives in sin. That which was in bondage, our lives in sin. And set them free. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The story of the Bible is God redeeming us in the middle of the greatest mess we could ever get into. So the mess that you find yourself in now is not something that is beyond the scope of what God wants to do. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what you're going through. I have no idea. But instead of asking the question, why, one more time, why don't you ask the question, how? How can I use the mess that I'm in today to come to a place where 